Martin Luther wrote his 95 Theses on October 31st, 1517, and according to legend, nailed them to the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Luther had become frustrated with what he believed was an abuse of power by the church in the sale of indulgences. These could be purchased, in effect pardoning a person of their sins. His 95 Theses outlined his concerns. As it became widely read, Luther was summoned to Worms on charges of heresy. When challenged to recant, he refused. My conscience is taken captive by the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. Luther believed the Bible was the authority for the Christian faith, not the church, and that everyone should be able to read it for themselves. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books. My father died about a year and a half ago, and uh, he didn't leave a lot of money or real estate, but uh, there are a lot of treasures that I've collected from his house in a theological library that, uh, that I was able to, to bring home. And one of the most pressured, treasured um, or precious books uh, that I got from him is this, this Bible. And, um, and it's, it's really a, an important Bible because it is a replica of the first Bible that was ever translated to Spanish. It's called La Biblia del Oso because it, it has an a, a bear in the front that is reaching for a honeycomb, and, and so uh, it's the Bible of the bear. In 1569, a monk, a Spanish monk by the name of Casidoro de Reina, uh, joined a monastery in Seville and with his friends, uh, became influenced by the teachings of another monk in Germany whose name was Martin Luther. And one of the ideas that uh, they had in this Reformation time was that the Bible should be translated to the language of the people. A novel idea. Because in those days, the Bible was only available in Greek or Hebrew or Latin most of the time, which meant only the very educated clergy, and not all clergy were educated, uh, could read the original, could read the Bible, could interpret it, and could teach it. That means the people didn't have access to the Bible. So uh, Casidoro de Reina took it upon himself to translate the Bible uh, to Spanish, to the common language of the people. And so the Holy Roman Inquisition broke out in Spain and, and Casidoro and his friends had to flee Spain and went to Switzerland. And there in exile, they finished translating the Bible. Meanwhile, back in Seville at the town square, they burned an effigy of Casidoro uh, because they condemned him as a heretic for translating the Bible. So this Bible is over 450 years old in its translation, and it's a symbol of the Protestant Reformation. And so today we celebrate Reformation Sunday. It is 505 years after Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the church uh, in Wittenberg. And this was an invitation to enter into dialogue about things that the medieval church had, had gone astray in, things that 
had, had gotten very far away from the gospel that the church of the first century uh, knew. And so today in Reformation Sunday, we want to talk about those things that came out of, of that search for, for the gospel, that search for, for the truth of, of the scriptures and, and what God did for us. We, 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 we line up with the Protestant Reformation. We, we connect our heritage with the Protestant Reformation. Even as Baptists, we, we have something to share and Baptists have something to benefit from that. So I want you to know that today, I'm not hating on any church, I'm not hating on any other religion, but I am rejoicing in who we are and what our heritage is and where we build our faith. And so we're gonna look at several scriptures today. And first and foremost, I'd like to invite you to go with me to Titus chapter three, verses four through seven. Uh, Titus 3, 4 through 7. And it reads like this. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. God's salvation, it's about God's love. It's about his kindness, the Bible tells us. That, that salvation is about his mercy. That it has to do with the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. That it has to do with Jesus Christ as our Savior. That it has to do with grace and it has to do with hope. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. I'm gonna share with you the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. There in Latin, ironically, uh, the word sola means only. And so we'll, we're going to unpack those. The first sola is sola scriptura. Sola scriptura means that the Bible is the only reliable, trustworthy authority for the believer in the church. What we know about God's love, what we know about what Christ did on the cross, what we know about how we can be reconciled to God, we know it because of the scriptures. The scriptures are the inspired word of God. It was written by men, but these men were inspired in a supernatural way so that they could record God's revelation to us. That's what 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us. If you'd like to go there with me, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness. God has added his breath to the, the scriptures, to the writing of these men, these godly men who, who were writing what, as they felt led by God to write with their own personalities, with their own experiences, but with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible guides us. The Bible teaches us. The Bible has the authority to rebuke us, to correct us, to train us in righteousness. There is no other book like it. There is no other book that has that kind of inspiration. And while we've been studying the scriptures for 2,000 years, and we've been writing Bible commentaries, and we've been writing Bible study books, there is no commentary, there is no sermon, there is no Christian book that has the authority of the scriptures. The scriptures alone are that kind of authority. In church history, 
And even in our times, there have been churches and denominations that sometimes have given the same weight to the interpretation, sometimes they call that tradition, than they do to the Bible. They said, yes, you can read the Bible. Yes, you can study the Bible, but you have to study it under the interpretation of the church tradition. You have to study it under the interpretation of the official statement of doctrine of a particular denomination. Even in our own denomination, about 20, 25 years ago, there, there was a debate, and that debate seems to still go on, as fresh as this week. Um, and it's about statements of faith. There was a statement of faith that had been adopted some years ago, and, and then a more recent statement of faith. And in that debate, there were some in our denomination that, that felt strongly uh, that missionaries on the field should sign the new statement of faith, or that professors at our seminaries should sign that statement of faith. Up until then, in our tradition, we've never asked people to sign a statement of faith because we believe that's creedal. And so uh, this was a debate and a controversy, and I remember hearing a preacher who was very prominent at that time. His name was Richard Jackson, and, and he said, if anybody wants me to sign anything, give me a Bible and I'll sign every page of it. And I said, that's, that's genius, because the only thing that we should that should ever be imposed on our conscience as authoritative should be the Bible, not a human document. No church, no religious organization, no religious leader should impose over somebody's conscience any other book or creed or statement or dogma, be it Catholic or Baptist or evangelical. The sole authority for faith and for the Christian life is the Scriptures. And we don't interpret the scriptures through the lens of tradition. It's the other way around. We interpret tradition through the lens of scriptures. That's why we need statements of faith that are revised every once in a while. Because we keep on discovering the truth of God's word and we keep changing our statements because we don't change the Bible. Sola scriptura. Maybe we can nail that to our hearts. Secondly, solus Christus. The Bible teaches us that Christ alone is the basis for our justification. Christ accomplished our redemption through his sinless life, his selfless death on the cross, and his supernatural resurrection from the dead. And what he did, and the way he lived, who he is and what he did, is complete and sufficient. Romans chapter 3 reminds us of this. I know that in your notes, in your handout, it might say Romans 6, but it's Romans 3. Uh, beginning with verse 21, and it reads like this. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. All have sinned, the Bible tells us. And have come short of God's salvation. God is holy. And if he's going to have a relationship with anybody, he requires holiness. 
And because we're sinners, we cannot attain that holiness on our own. And so God, to, to be able to provide for us, to have a relationship with him, has provided that holiness in Christ. He has provided his own son as a sinless life that he can give to us in exchange for our sin. It is his righteousness. When we needed salvation, God sent Christ. When we needed forgiveness, God sent Christ. When we needed reconciliation with God, God sent Christ. When we needed the power to live a new life, God sent Christ. Christ is enough. Christ does not need a co-redeemer. Not his mother, not the apostles, not the saints, not the church, not the sacraments. No other human being can help Jesus save us because he alone accomplished it on the cross. He said it is finished. It is complete. The reason that Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church, which was All Saints Church, on October 31st, was because October 31st is All Hallows Eve. That means it is the Eve of All Saints Day. All Saints Day being November 1st. And in the medieval church, All Saints Day uh, consisted of, of many parishioners coming to, to uh, really worship the relics of saints. Primarily, there were the bones of dead people, dead Christians, dead saints, and people thought that by touching them or praying in front of them that somehow they, they could add to their salvation, that somehow uh, this ability to have access to, to the saints, the, the dead people, will, will help them in their salvation. And so, uh, and, and so th maybe this is the background for the ghosts and the goblins on October 31st or Dia de los Muertos in the Mexican culture. But, but, but the reformers understood that no relics of the saints could be added to the work that Christ had already finished and done. That Christ alone is sufficient for our salvation. Solus Christus. Maybe we can nail that to our heart today. And then thirdly, sola fide. Directly related to solus Christus is sola fide. Christ alone accomplished our salvation. And so our salvation then is obtained through faith alone. Since the work of Christ is perfect and sufficient, we cannot improve on it. We can't add to it. All we can do is receive it by faith. Faith is what God has always expected from his people. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is trusting in who God is. Faith is believing that even though we're separated from God, even though we're, we're hopeless in our sin, e even though without a Savior we cannot get to God, that God wants to get to us. <clears throat> it's believing his heart and it's believing that the only way that we can be fully reconciled to him is to, through Jesus Christ. Faith is believing that the only way to have a relationship with God, the only way to have eternal life, the only way to live the life that he means for us to live is by faith in him. Go with me to Galatians chapter 2, where, where we're reminded of this very truth. Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, where the Bible tells us, we who are Jews by birth 
and not sinful Gentiles, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul tells the Jews, we, we keep the law. We're, we're good moral people. We're not like those Gentiles who, who are living in, in, in sin and who are pagans. But, but I want you to know, even those of us that go to church, even those of us that read the Bible, even those of us that obey the commandments cannot be made right with God by obedience to the law. We cannot be made right with God by obeying the commandments. The only way that we can be made right with God is by faith in the obedience of Christ by believing that Christ lived that perfect, sinless life for us by trusting in him. God's commandments are not the way to get right with God. So that rather than trusting in our obedience, we trust in the obedience of Christ. Obedience to death and death on a cross. Many, many years ago, as I pastored a church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I became friends with someone whose company owned a suite at the ballpark where the Texas Rangers played. I know it's all about the Astros right now, and, and, I, and I know that nobody here likes the Texas Rangers, but, but I'm a Texas Ranger. Okay, there's a couple over here. You know, I have good pastoral staff team members, I, I want to tell you. But anyway, uh, this friend of ours said, you know, we'd like to invite you and your staff and uh, anybody from your church that you would like to bring to come and, and watch a game, a baseball game in our suite. It comes with tickets. It comes with VIP parking. Uh, you can hang out in our luxury suite. There will be food, unlimited snacks and drinks, and, and you can just hang out and watch the game. And, and, uh, and, and I thought that was a pretty good offer. I don't own a suite at a ballpark. And my church didn't own one. I, I don't know that we could have afforded one. So if I would have said to him, you know what, I, if I'm going to go to a game and watch it from a suite, it's going to be, I'm going to buy my own. I would probably still not have been able to do that. Or if I had told him, you know, the only way I, I'll go and I'll watch that baseball game from your suite is, is if I can pay for it. I'm sure I would have fainted when I would see the invoice for that. But you know, he'd already paid for it. He'd already offered it. The only thing I had to do to enjoy was to accept it as a gift, to say yes. And I did. I got the tickets and I got the VIP parking and I got to enjoy that evening with our staff and our leaders free. Salvation is experienced by faith. Christ has already paid for it. And he extends it to us. We cannot buy it. We cannot earn it. We can just receive it. By faith and faith alone. Sola fide. Maybe we can nail that to our hearts. Fourth, sola gratia. Sola fide is possible because of sola gracia. Sola gracia means by grace alone. All of salvation is by grace and grace alone. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It comes from the character of the giver, not the merit of the recipient. It flows from a heart of love, the heart of God to the sinner. The reason that faith alone is enough to experience salvation is because of God's grace. Go with me now to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It says, For it is by grace you've been saved, 
through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are made right with God, not because of anything we've done. It's not by works. There is no treasure of merits that is being stored up in heaven so that somehow when you die, they'll put it on the scale and figure out whether you can get it to heaven or not. There are some people that believe that. I've asked people, do you think you're going to heaven when you die? And people have said, I hope so. What do you mean you hope so? I hope that I've done good enough things. I I hope I've done more good things than bad things so, so that when I get to heaven and they put it on the scale, I'll come out looking good. And I said, what a... What an oppressive way to live is that. There is no such thing. The gospel is not about trying to be as good as you can so that God will accept you when you get to heaven. The gospel is this. God is good. Christ is perfect. And God will accept you on the basis of faith in his son. It's grace and grace alone. In the medieval church, there was something that was developed that was called indulgences. The medieval church taught that, that people, Christians, who hadn't done enough good works uh, during their life, that they would have to go to a place called purgatory, and, and there they would have to pay for their sins, and, and, and after they paid for their sins, then maybe they could get to heaven. And, and, and so indulgences were meant to, to reduce the amount of time in purgatory, to reduce the amount of time that people had to suffer punishment in purgatory. And, and these indulgences were certificates signed by the Pope that, that you could uh, receive this kind of forgiveness, but they weren't free. You had to do something for them. They, the, the church believed or taught that Christ had done enough to save us at the cross, but that, that saving grace of Christ had been given to the church and the church kept it in some kind of a coffer and then it dispensed it through sacraments or dispensed it through indulgences and people had to do something to obtain it. And so there were preachers that, that would go around towns and they would say they would sell indulgences so that they could finance the building of St. Peter's Basilica. And the pitch went something like this. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. And it made people like Martin Luther furious. God's forgiveness cannot be bought. God's grace is not for sale. Or it's not grace then. There is nothing more contrary to the gospel than to think that you can buy forgiveness, that you can buy salvation Salvation is by grace alone. Even, even now, sometimes people, I think, are not quite sure of why they go to church or why they give. You know, people sometimes say, Pastor, I'm sorry I wasn't there at church. I hope, I think God will understand. I think he'll forgive me. Or I didn't get to give uh, this time, this week. I, I hope God forgives me. And I'm going, we don't give or go to church so that we can have favor with God. We go to church and we give because God has already had favor on us in Christ. We do it as a response of gratitude, not to get right with God, but because we're already right with God. Because God was generous with us, we're generous with him. Because he voluntarily gave himself for us, we voluntarily give of ourselves to him. Sola gracia, grace alone. All of salvation is by grace alone. 
Even the good works, it says here in verse 10. Even the good works that we do, when Christians do good works, it's by grace. God prepared those good works before we were even saved. So every time you do something right, let me, let me remind you, it's the grace of God working through you. Sola gracia. Maybe we can nail that to our heart. And then fifth and final, soli deo gloria. Because Christ has revealed himself in the scriptures, because salvation is in Christ alone, because salvation is by grace through faith, and all, all of the glory belongs to God. No one else deserves the glory for our salvation. Not me, not you, not the church, not the pastor, not the saints, not the religious, not church members, not anyone else but God and God alone. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, he breaks out in praise to God for, for the salvation and, and he talks about, he declares how it is for God's glory. Ephesians chapter one, verse three, read with me. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. My goodness, what, what a paragraph. I'm sure that an English teacher would have said that's a run-on sentence. Maybe it's bad syntax, but it's great theology. In salvation, there is no room for human pride. None of us, none of us are better than, than others. If you put your faith in Christ, you're not better than others, but you're better off. You have a better life. You have a better hope. You have a better future. The Bible here reminds us that he loves us. Glory to God. He chose us before we were born. Glory to God. He sent Christ to save us. Glory to God. He redeemed us through his blood. Glory to God. He's made himself known to us. Glory to God. He gave us hope. Glory to God. He included us and he adopted us. When we were on the outside, glory to God. He gave us the Holy Spirit. Glory to him. 
He made us new, new creatures, new people. Glory to God. He made us his in Christ. Glory to him. He did it all because of his will, for his purpose, and by his grace. Glory to God. Over a hundred years before Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the church, another person was accepting, discovering these truths that we've talked about today. Luther happened upon a volume of sermons that this man had written. His name was John Hus, or some say John Hus. He was a Bohemian who had been condemned as a heretic. And Luther said of him, I'm overwhelmed with astonishment as he read his sermons. John Hus was born in 1369 in Bohemia, we now know as the Czech Republic. He became the pastor of the Bethlehem Church in Prague and became convinced of the authority of the scriptures as he studied them. He became convinced of the abuses of the Pope and the clergy of his day and the illegitimacy of these indulgences. Because of his views, because of his preaching, he was declared an arch heretic by the Roman Catholic Church and he was burned at the stake. And as he was there, they piled bales of hay around him all the way up to his chest. And, and as they held the torches right uh, before they, they lit them, they, they offered him an opportunity to recant. And he did not. And he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord Jesus, it is for thee that I patiently endure this cruel death. I pray that you have mercy on my enemies. What an incredible testimony of a man who had experienced the grace of God and salvation and now even at his death, even in a painful, torturous death, he gives the glory to God. His death did not stop the fires of the Reformation. They continued to spread and burn eventually in Germany and then in Spain and then in Switzerland and then in the UK, this return to the gospel that the church proclaimed in the first century has continued to spread 505 years later. We are here, thankful because some have been willing to give their lives for the truth and give the glory to God because only God deserves the glory. Soli Deo Gloria. Maybe we can nail that to our heart today. I'm thankful today for the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. I'm not here because I hate another church or another denomination, but I'm here thankful, rejoicing that the light has shone and that because some were willing to rediscover these truths in the scripture about the gospel, today I am saved by grace and I get to proclaim this gospel and I get to be a part of the church, of a church that proclaims it. And so today we thank God for sola scriptura, for solus Christus, for sola fide, for sola gratia, and for soli Deo gloria. Let's pray. God, thank you today for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for your salvation by grace. Thank you for those who 
who discovered it and rediscovered it and proclaimed it even at the cost of, of their land, at the cost of their comfort, and at the cost of their life. Today, we are thankful. We value these truths. We, we stake our lives and our faith on them. We pray that you reawaken our faith. I pray that they, if there's anyone here today that has not trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, that, that today they would place their faith in him and him alone. Even at this moment, they would pray that prayer that would bring salvation to them. They would extend their, their arms of faith and receive this free gift in Jesus Christ. And Father, to those that, that already know Jesus, that are already walking in that grace, help us to live by grace and help us to give all the glory to you. It is our prayer with thanksgiving in Christ's name. Amen.